Support for today's show comes from Deloitte. What does the future look like? By melting business acumen and innovative technology, Deloitte can help you build the future only you can imagine. They can help engineer solutions for your business reality today and your vision for tomorrow to get you to a world where you don't just dream it, you build it. See how you can engineer advantage with Deloitte at Deloitte.com slash US slash engineering advantage. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. If you're a small business owner, you know that it isn't just your business. It's your life. And whatever your business might be, you want someone who understands. That's why you might want to check out State Farm Small Business Insurance. Why? Because State Farm agents are small business owners, too, living and working in your community. That means they know what it takes to help you personalize your policies for your small business needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. Hey, everybody, it's Neil from The Vergecast. On this week's interview episode, Ashley Carmen and I sat down with Ellie Seidman, the CEO of Tinder. Turns out running a dating app in the middle of a pandemic, pretty challenging. Ellie told us that he thinks of this as the third wave of the internet, where people hang out online as a destination. It sits right alongside the physical world. He brought up Animal Crossing. He brought up Fortnite. He wants to make Tinder a place where people hang out, not just a place where you swipe, find a date, and then go on a date in the world. That's a big change for the internet. It's a big idea to have. We unpacked it a lot. We also talked about Tinder's upcoming video chat functionality. In order to moderate that, they're going to have computers, AI, watch your video chats in real time. So if something goes wrong, you can report it. That's a hard challenge. We got into it. We got into some of the technical details. You hear all about it. Check it out. It's Ellie Seidman, CEO of Tinder. Ellie Seidman, you're the CEO of Tinder. Welcome to the Vergecast. It's great to be here. And Ashley Carmen is joining us as well. Hey, Ash. Hello. So uh, it's the middle of a global pandemic. As you may have noticed, I'm not sure if you've been watching <laughs> the news. Tinder is a dating app. It's for dating. How have things changed for Tinder in the midst of all this? You know, it's interesting. I think that the high level is that now more than ever, people want connection, right? You've got physical isolation, but if you're single um, and you're alone, you know, now is perhaps the most important time. And so there are, you know, there's some interesting, you know, subtrends, but that's probably the highest, the highest level thing that we're saying is a lot of engagement. Depends on where you are in the world, depends on whether you're kind of in the peak of the crisis moment, the way, you know, Italy or Spain were, or New York was a month ago. But, you know, that the thing that's really come, you know, through loud and clear is people want connection, makes sense. And when you get, when you get isolated, you want it even more. So are you, you're seeing increased usage of Tinder during all this? Yeah, it's kind of ebbed and flowed. It depends. I mean, there's, you know, we break it into two parts. There's the business side of Tinder, the part of Tinder, which is, you know, the, the financial engine. And then there's the engagement side. The majority of people who are using Tinder on any given day, the majority of the community globally is not paying for it. It's a, you know, basically an entirely free product for them. And a small subset of them are paid members, people who are paying for premium features, if you look at the engagement side, you know, what is the, the entirety of the community doing there? Yeah, you see very clear uh, positives around engagement, you know, longer conversations, a lot more conversations. We've seen big increases um, in place from young women, you know, women kind of 18 to 30 has been, you know, big, inc- big area of increase for us. And so yeah, that's been probably the big one. 
you know, they, we, we reported earnings uh, now 10 days ago or so. And we talked about, you know, Q1 and Q2 a little bit there. We have 6 million subs, paying subs. And uh, that's, you know, that's really a part of the business. It's harder to predict given the financial component. But, you know, that, that part has held up pretty well, all things considered. And I mean, what are you seeing as far as like, obviously, Tinder is a huge global brand and different parts of the world are in different stages of the pandemic. So what are you seeing as far as what's going on in India right now versus what's happening in the U.S. versus, you know, Canada or something else? Yeah, I I think the simplest way to think of it is it it seems to follow the psychology of the moment, you know, both the the actual substance of the crisis. So if you look at, for example, you know, Italy, you know, now a month ago or New York a month ago, you know, you see there, um, you know, real decreases, you know, and I think that makes sense. Right. You know, you've got a significant crisis that's happening in real time. People are, you know, distracted with something else that's really much more important. But when that kind of subsides, um, you get a rebound back and it seems to happen pretty quickly. I don't think we know perfectly how quickly, but okay, now the crisis is starting to pass. You know, the psychology is easing, but I'm still home. I'm still home alone. (laughs) And, um, you know, and I'd like some companionship. I'd like connection. And, you know, we offer that. And so you definitely see it kind of rolling through. You see, you know, you know, now New York is rebounding and as things have eased. Um, California, certainly that's been true. We see that in, true in Germany. Germany has kind of been, you know, one of the earlier rebounds and we saw that very clearly. So you could really kind of follow the news and follow the correlated trend on Tinder. Japan's been very interesting, right? We have a big community in Japan and, you know, that's been kind of across the period of time more moderated. And you see that it's kind of had, you know, fewer peaks and valleys along along the way in terms of engagement. So actually, if the pandemic lets up, would that mean that you would have less engagement on the platform? It's hard to know. I think we'll probably see a big rebound because, you know, all of the physical world stuff uh, that comes with Tinder is easier, right? And so I I expect that we'll see that part of the rebound of, oh, now like get out of the house and, um, you know, get back to our physical world social life. So, you know, it's interesting because there's a bigger idea here. We span really two types of connection. You know, one is the kind of connection we can have digitally. And that's really important. We've been thinking about that idea for a while. You know, we actually started early this year to work on uh, a feature that's about to come out. You start to get rolled out to the first of our members and test next week, which is global mode. And global mode is the idea that says, hey, I can get connection from somebody who's not a mile away or around the corner, you know, five miles away. I can get that connection. And those connections are meaningful and validate, validating. I'm seen in those connections, even though the person is a thousand miles away. And that's kind of the story of, it's actually an old story, right? It's the story of the internet, which is how do I find my people? It's interesting when you apply that to Tinder, a big global community. And, you know, within that, there's a set of people who say, I want to be seen. I want to feel validated and valued. And maybe I can't find that person right around me, or maybe it doesn't matter if they're right around me. So that's kind of a part which I think is really interesting. We've been working on for a while and thinking about a lot. The other part is the physical world. I do want the person to be a mile away or two miles away. What's the difference between global mode and passport? So passport, yeah. So passport is, and so we, maybe I'll give the context there. You know, we started working on global mode early this year before we actually understood that COVID was going to come. So that, and that was on schedule to come out now. And so that's, that's continued down the path. In late February, early March, when we really realized what was happening in the scale of the pandemic, we said, hey, let's take that idea of global mode, which is, hey, I want to find connection 
from anywhere from around the globe. Let's bring take the paid version, which is Passport, and let's offer it for free. And what Passport is, and you've probably heard these stories, it's I live in L.A., I'm going to London or I'm going to Paris on a trip, and I want to kind of teleport myself into London or Paris so that I can connect with somebody there who I'll hang out with or they'll be my tour guide. Uh, that's the typical story you hear, you know, when I'm there and, uh, you know, and so, and so you get, you get that version of, um, the use and it's a paid feature. So a very small percentage of the total population of Tinder is using it. Global mode is I'm in LA, they're in Paris, they're in London, they're wherever they're in Tokyo or Seoul. And we both opt into being shown to and being seen by people in this kind of global community uh, versus the people who say, no, only show me to, and I only want to see people who are in LA or in New York. So, and that's going to be, it's going to be a free feature when it comes out. Passport is a paid feature. And so they're, they're related, but they're, they're actually different in some important ways. So I always think of Tinder as, you know, it's a, it's a means to an end and the end is companionship or meeting somebody in real life or some sort of interaction that happens outside the app. Right now, it seems like you want a lot of interaction to happen inside the app, right? You have global mode. You might be I might be in London, that person might be in Seoul. We've connected, now we're gonna stay inside of Tinder, or do you expect there to still be some conversion to something else? Yeah, I think I mean so I think there's a there's a there's a really interesting trend here. There's two in my in my view, there's two waves of dating apps, and we're actually entering the second wave. We've we've coming out of the first wave. The first wave is Go back to 2012, Tinder is, you know, uh, launched on U.S. college campuses. At the time, it's very, very unusual, you know, stigmatized really is the right word for an 18, 19, 20-year-old to use an app, uh, use a website, right, at the time, probably more likely to meet new people. Although the technology had existed for a long time, it wasn't a new idea from a technical perspective. It was a social cultural stigma to doing it. You know, I at the time was in my probably my late 20s in, in New York, and you would never have used a dating app to meet new people. It was very stigmatized. So the first wave is more and more people joining, the social cultural stigmas falling, falling in the US for sure, but more broadly globally. But we're still using a dating app the way we kind of met in the regular world, right? You know, if, if friends would introduce you or you met somebody in college, you met somebody at a party, you kind of meet somebody and then a week or two later, you'd hang out one-on-one. And that's kind of how we've used, you know, dating apps is you come to come to Tinder on a Sunday night, you find somebody and the goal is to hang out with them a week or two later in the physical world. What we're seeing now, I think is going to be a really interesting second wave, which you actually come to the app and you hang out in the app. And you get to know them in the app. And, and the thing that really brings this to life is a story we all know really well. You meet somebody on Tinder, you go out with them a week or two later, you get there and four minutes into the conversation, you're like, wait, there's like no spark. There's no chemistry. I like I need to press the eject button. And, you know, you, there, people have concocted all kinds of fancy ways to get themselves out of these situations. Right. You know, the emergency phone call, 7 p.m. on a Tuesday night, you have a sudden emergency, you know. No, you just like the problem was you didn't develop rapport, you didn't develop a connection with that person first. And this is not a this is a well understood idea, and I think n- nobody's really innovated here yet in a big way. And so that's the big idea, which is wait, if we hang out here and connect, what does that look like? How can we how can Tinder as a product facilitate that? You get that digital connection. Maybe it just stays in the digital world. For many people, it will want to go to the physical world when it connects. 
Um, but for some, it will stay, you know, it will stay, uh, it will stay in the digital world. So that's the set to me, that's the big second wave is like, how do we innovate here? How do we come to Tinder on a, on a, on a Sunday night and hang out live and connect live? And then, you know, some of those connections will then go and, you know, have a physical world connection as well. This might be like a dumb question, but why do you want people to hang out in Tinder? Well, because I think it's an interesting place to actually get to know. It's much less uh, intense than I swipe on you, I match with you. And now the next step, this big jump, the next step is to be on a one-to-one physical, you know, physical date, right? And what we see is this is not like a new idea. I think this is like a new idea if you're maybe in your late 20s or your, your 30s. But in a sense, you know, the idea of hanging out is already happening with our Gen Z members. You know, the the background for this, the important backdrop is over the past 10 years, you've not only had the growth of dating apps, of course, you've had the growth of the entire social internet. That's been a huge growth, right? We have now 3 billion people on the social internet. The social internet, you know, is the third one after the commerce internet and before that, the information internet. So information internet, commerce internet, social internet, you now have 3 billion people. And then specifically Gen Z, the 18, 19-year-olds who arrive on Tinder today, they've grown up with the social internet. They've had that in their life from a very young age. So when they arrive, they've already hung out in digital environments. It might have been Fortnite, right? That could have been the place where they were hanging out with their friends. So the idea of like hanging out and developing a relationship and developing a connection and letting it unfold um, in a digital environment uh, is not a new idea. I'll actually give you an interesting anecdote here. We do you know, a lot of talking to our young members and we kept in one of the conversations, we kept referring to like IRL, IRL, IRL and you know, in real life. And one of the one of the members we were talking to said, you guys keep talking about like digital experience and then IRL as if IRL, the physical world is my real life. You don't understand like my digital social experience is my real life. They're both my real life. And that's a really simple idea, but a profound one. And so the idea that you can hang out on Tinder is already happening as a concept. Do you sit in strategy meetings and you're like, Fortnite dating is coming. We got to be there. Is that, are you worried about that? Like when you talk about Fortnite and other social places, yep, that is hanging out there, but it's still a video game, right? They might have Travis Scott concerts and whatever, but it, it hasn't built the set of features or tools you might need to like have a romantic relationship in Fortnite. Do you see that as an opportunity you need to create first or something that will happen organically or an emergent behavior that's already occurring and you're just trying to catch the wave? So I think there's two parts, right? Fortnite clearly has the the contextual environment that makes it, you know, possible to hang out. That's a game specifically. Um, there's other contextual environments, you know, uh, trivia and I, Ashley, you, 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 you know, you wrote about this, right? Like that, that is an idea. It's another contextual environment. There's lots of different social, uh, you know, social communities out there. Um, the thing that's very specific to Tinder, right, is it's young, 18 to 25 predominantly. It's global. And everybody who's here is looking for something more. That's really important, right? You need that kind of top-level intent, that top-level filter on why are you there in the first place. When you come to Tinder, you don't come for trivia specifically. You come to find somebody for something more and then maybe trivia. And there's going to be many examples and ideas, some of which won't work and some of which will. And we're going to experiment a lot with these in the coming, uh, in the coming, t- in coming year. But the point is still to find something more with someone. That's really the point. It's, it's the, you know, what's the end and what's the means. So how do, you, how do you map that to this is a place that you want to hang out 
a long time. Like once you find the something more, you you probably don't want to go back in an environment where everyone's intent is to get to something more because you right. Do you do you anticipate people are going to spend a long time in Tinder that they're going to come back to it again and again and again throughout their life, or is it once you make the connection, you move on? Yeah, we already see episodic behavior, which makes sense, right? You know, if you find somebody. You get really connected to them. You date them. It's maybe a long-term relationship. You know, we're, we're really the only app which says just because it doesn't last forever doesn't mean it's not important. You know, it's still important. And we're very clear about that. We don't think everything has to last to be important. And, and as a result, you know, we see very clearly episodic, you know, episodic use. People come. They come for a while. They leave. They come back. And, you know, if that starts at 18, it's a journey and they spend their time on that journey. And I don't think this will change that. I think, you know, I I very much hope and expect that people will still form, you know, important connections, even if they don't last forever. Could you talk a little bit, maybe just to to catch listeners up on some of the work you've done on the interactive side to try to kind of crack that code? Yeah. So, you know, this is, you know, what we're seeing happen now you know, if, if a few of the themes in, in COVID are, you know, you can see that your online dating life is your dating life, right? We understand and we're seeing, you know, you can develop connection through a screen. You can develop connection digitally. That's a real connection. It's a valid connection. We understand that. And there's kind of a bunch of really interesting hacks that are inspiring us, um, you know, whether it's having a date in Animal Crossing or it's, you know, you're seeing in Silicon Valley, like Zoom Bachelor, which I think is quite funny. Um, you know, we're hacking together these social experiences, right? Having cooking class as part of a date, an online date. You know, those are kind of like the things we're seeing right at this moment uh, in COVID. But they're really like, especially for our youngest members, a continuation of themes that we've been really interested in for a while, the thing we did in the fall, last fall, which is an interactive experience called Swipe Night, which was a it was a, it was a an event. It was four Sunday nights in October in the U.S. and we built a first person interactive adventure. What that is is like a series of it's a story, literally a story we had pre filmed. We'd filmed all the different components of. You came to Tinder, the whole community, at a certain time of the day on a Sunday night. And you engage in that experience and you kind of chose your own adventure. And it was, it's fun. It's entertaining. And then you talk to the people on Tinder who are also doing it. And now you have a shared live experience. You have shared context with those persons. You have kind of, in a sense, a diversion, the context about which to talk about. And so that was the first, that was the first you know, major experiment. We had worked on that really throughout 2019. And it was inspired by these ideas, which is like, hey, you can have Hangout on Tinder, you can have the whole community come and have it be alive and have it be an experience with shared context. We'd use the, the metaphor of going to a concert or going to a festival. You're all there together. Of course, you're there live. It's, everybody's there at the same time. You're all having the same experience. And that's important. It becomes a way in which you share in a way in which you have the same experience and the same you know, context to talk about. It makes it easier and lower pressure to connect with other people. So that's the kind of thing we've been doing. I think what you're seeing right now with COVID is a broader number of people, especially perhaps people who are not, you know, our 18 and 19 year olds who used to hang out on Fortnite, they're getting exposed to, oh, wow, this this digital thing, this virtual experience thing, it's real. Like I could totally understand it. And that will look the big takeaway will be it will lower the cultural stigma 
And like at the beginning of the first wave of dating online, where lowering cultural stigma was the big change, this is going to lower the cultural stigma. We, we don't understand all of the ways it'll play out, but I think for sure we're going to see a big change in how we, in our psychology around these things. A lot of your product innovation has been around university students. So you have Tinder U, which is specifically for people with a .edu address, I think. There are a couple other ways to verify, but yeah, yeah. that's the idea, yeah. In the college campus area, students. And then obviously you made a spring break mode. You've done music festivals, all sort of IRL events. Um, <laughs> so I'm curious, like, have you pivoted those teams now? Like, are you just kind of like, all right, school campuses are empty next fall. No one's going on spring break. Nobody's going to music festivals. Like, so much effort was put into that. So I'm curious what those teams are doing now. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the short answer is yes. The question I was talking to somebody the other day is, what does back to school look like when there's no physical school? We, we've referred to joining Tinder at 18 as a rite of passage. Uh, and, and it's become that. It's an important one. It's an important, you know, we're, we're an 18 plus app where we work very hard to keep people who aren't 18 off the app. So when you turn 18, that's a rite of passage. And of course, we think of all the other rites of passage that relate to going to college and Tinder U is solidly in there. So what can we do? Um, how does that how does that map over uh, to the virtual world? So what is the festival mode when the festival isn't, you know, in the physical world, isn't in real life? You know, so, yeah, it's, we've, we're, we've migrated over there. It's a really important area of our innovation inspiration is the youngest members of Tinder. It's just interesting because I remember you also briefly experimented with Tinder Places, which was a feature that was supposed to allow you to see people who had kind of crossed your path and then match with those people. So it was like, oh, you go to the same coffee shop as me. There you are. I see you every day. Now I have an opportunity to swipe on you. And a lot of your features were oriented around geographical location, but it kind of sounds like you guys are totally pivoting away from that and are like, actually, location doesn't matter at all. I think social cultural cues matter a lot more. Like Joe Exotic is a much more meaningful cultural cue than like where you went to coffee. You know, if this is the wave of the social Internet, and it certainly seems that way, you know, a lot of what happens in culture is what happens in online culture. And the advantage of online culture, this is kind of a broader idea, is that it's democratized, right? Um, a lot of the physical world stuff we kind of tend to talk about, like take a festival, and we, we've had this conversation internally. It's really expensive. Um, the number of people who can go to a music festival is small. It's, a, it's really a, a, a privileged few. So when we did Swipe Night, one of the ideas behind it was not just that we can have a live experience and a social experience in the context of Tinder, but it's one that's actually free for everyone. And that's really powerful. And so I think when we think about the physical world versus the, the social digital world, like one is first of all, just becoming more and more important in, in culture. And we're a part of culture. We're not just are we a, you know, an important place to meet new people. We, we've become very fortunately a really important you know, brand in social culture, specifically in youth social culture. And so, and those cues are, you know, those are in TikTok, right? In TikTok videos, those are in what you're watching on Netflix. Those are in the memes that are circulating. Um, so yeah, we've pivoted. Support of The Vergecast comes from Shopify. Whether you're a huge company or a small crafter trying to make a buck off your hobby, selling online is one of the best ways to grow. Shopify is one of the top e-commerce platforms that you can use to get started. But it's not just online. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. And you can sell wherever, online or with their in-person point of sale system. You can also sell more with less effort with their AI-powered tool, Shopify Magic. 
Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. You might recognize more brands who already use Shopify, like Rothy's, Brooklinen, Allbirds, and more. Millions of entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries rely on Shopify for their e-commerce needs. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash vergecast. That's all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash vergecast now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash vergecast. Wow, that guy means business. Just an amazing player. No, not him, the sports photographer behind him. Uh, what? He has a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, where he earns 5% annual percentage yield, so he's scoring big on and off the field. You might even say he's the MVB. MVB? The most valuable business. Making your money work harder. That's how you business differently. Intuit QuickBooks. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes are in APY. APY can change at any time. So I'm an old guy. I definitely married the girl who was assigned the dorm room next to mine before Tinder ever existed. <laughs> so my simplistic view of Tinder is that it's for hot people. And my understanding is like the profiles aren't built out with all of this cultural signaling. Like you're not required to fill out a lengthy profile with your interests, your thoughts on Joe exotic. Like it's a very visual platform. This is what I'm told. <laughs> I'm also married to a divorce lawyer, so like I'm really, really at a remove from Tinder. Um, but are you trying to shift that so people are signaling more of their interests? They're signaling more of their cultural uh, alignments versus just photos of themselves? Yeah, I think that the challenge, right, is how do you make it easy to do, right? Because, you know, we've experimented a lot with this, and it's it's something that comes up. Okay, well, how do I show off myself? Like, how do I tell my story in a way that feels comfortable, but is also easy to do? So we've recently added, you know, conversation starters, and we're prompting people on social cultural things. But it's always focused, you know, and I think it's something that we at Tinder have understood perhaps uniquely well. It's not enough to try to give people things to do to add. It's got to be easy to do. It's got to be fluid, because talking about yourself is awkward. And people don't like to do it. So, you know, and, and I've seen the thinking around, extensively seeing the thinking around, okay, well, um, should we have them write a thousand word essay about themselves? No, no, you don't want to do that because <laughs> the number of people who can do that is very small. The number of people who will read that is very small. So it's always about finding ways. And I think it's why when you hang out, one, one of the, the reasons, the inspirations behind the idea of hanging out on Tinder is I think we can create ways in which naturally you can show more of yourself and get more, be seen more than just for the two-dimensional visual. But it's still easy to do. It's still natural to do versus I think it's very awkward to write 500 words about yourself. So is that, are you, is that where things like trivia comes from or yeah, exactly. yeah, other exactly. things where it's just like really quick hits to, to almost gamify that interaction? Yeah, we think the activities you do can be a way in which you can kind of like naturally show who you are. And actually that emulates a lot more the the college dorm room example that you gave, right? Like that is how if you were hanging out on a college campus and you're meeting people, there isn't going to be this like one moment where you just yes or no. You're going to get the opportunity to like unfold a little bit more as a person and be seen more as a person, but without having to like write a 500 word essay that you then put on a piece of paper and put you know, slide under her door. Which I was a very dramatic college student. <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't know if I want to go down this road. But yeah, no, I, I philosophically understand what you're saying. Okay. Maybe not in <laughs> So, I mean, it just sounds like a lot of what you're talking about here, at a very simple level, boils down to user interface design, 
right? I mean, the, the key piece of Tinder that everyone knows is a swipe. That was a user interface innovation. It sounds like you're trying to apply that thinking to all of these other spaces as well. Yeah, I would say there's two parts, right? There's definitely product design is super important. You know, there if you don't get the product design right, I think the best idea just you know kind of stays as an idea. Uh, and so, you know, we're proud of our ability to do that well. I think we do that really, really well. I think we we take ideas um, and don't just leave them on a piece of paper. They become, you know, product ideas that are elegant, that are simple, that are fun, that are delightful. And so, yeah, for sure. The other part, which, you know, is is more complicated, but I think we understand pretty well, is how do you make these things acceptable in social culture, right? Like, uh, how is it okay to hang out uh, on a Sunday night? And there you've got to tell the story in a way that's uh, fun and accessible and exciting, um, that people want to do it, that it's not a chore. If you think about the, the first wave of dating websites, they were really websites, they kind of felt like a job interview. It felt like work. You know, here's, you know, all these things you got to say about yourself. You're like, God, this is not fun at all. And, and, you know, you know, our members, you know, more than half of them are 18 you know, to 25. They're in Gen Z. This is a fun time of life. It's supposed to be a fun time of life. We want to facilitate that, not make it a job interview. So one of the biggest product features you guys have announced, I, th- I think, in the company's history is this one-on-one video calling that's going to be coming soon. So I'm wondering... I guess I kind of want to just first ask, was this a product you wanted to launch before the pandemic? Yeah, this was this was on the list, um, but was lower on the list than the things we've been talking about, uh, you know, which are these broader um, these broader themes of hanging out. You know, we think this is an interesting feature. It's it's coming. It'll you know, the first of our members will see it in June. And uh, so it's been on the list. It just wasn't at the very top list because the other areas, which kind of the, the themes behind Swipe Night, for example, were higher on the list. So video chat is fraught for every company that launches it. It's technically hard. It's data rich. If you get it, if it looks bad, it's not very worthwhile. Did you prioritize it lower because the technical challenges were harder or because the sort of big social changes that come to a platform like Tinder with video were difficult? Um, I think it was it was just less interesting to us than the other things we've talked about, more so than the technical side. Um, you know, I'll tell you how we've done it you know, how we're approaching it. And, and this will inform some of how you're thinking about it. The trust and safety team at Tinder is the team that's building it, you know, because we want to ensure that it isn't fraught with problems. Uh, that was very important. You know, the trust and safety team has done our um, our efforts on kind of anti-harassment and on moderation at global scale, Tinder scale, uh, has done it really successfully. It's been a big, big effort, you know, for the past three years. Um, in particular, it's always been an effort, but it got a lot of attention. I joined Tinder as a CEO two and a half years ago. It's kind of like on the list of things. There were a very small number, one of which was going global. The second of which is like we have to make sure to be ahead of the curve, um, you know, technically uh, and from kind of just a kind of how do you make the experience better and better for the for our participants without that uh, you don't have a platform, you don't have a community. And so that was really important. And I'm really proud of what the team has done. It's, a, it's really an incredible team, very, very talented. And so they, they're they the ones building this. You know, very specifically, Tinder's version of this is a mutual opt-in, right? If you think about Tinder, you both have to opt-in to match. Uh, and so, you know, you, in order to be able to talk to each other at all, you have to match. Um, and that's a mutual decision. 
And then further, in order to be able to use video, you have to specifically opt in to agree to video with that person. Both of you have to. So it's kind of like multiple layers removed. And then it's being built by uh, the trust and safety team who's just really, really deeply experienced in all of these and all the issues that come with moderating uh, a platform at global scale. So I feel like we know we know how to do it. We don't have all the answers. There's going to be a lot of things that we learn, but we, we come to it with a pretty big foundation of knowledge. Is your trust and safety team just Tinder's internal trust and safety team? Like it's not, you're not pulling from the brain trust that's match group? I think because of our scale, we're, you know, we, so we do, we borrow uh, lots of thinking across match group. You know, there's a match group safety council that is a broad across match group. It's not just us. Um, That's a knowledge base um, that has, you know, external advisors who are very, very accomplished in the domain and so we, we definitely leverage that pretty extensively. But then if you compound that by our scale, you know, and the global component, which is not just U.S. scale, but global scale for Tinder, we, we're probably the most experienced in the group of doing this at scale, of you know, applying. And there's really three vectors, right? One is machine learning that is looking for problems. The second is a large human moderation team. Uh, that is moderating what the computers can't deal with um, or need human intervention on. And then our members are a really, really critical part of how we get uh, signal, right? How we get information about what's happening. And, and, and all of that is, you know, kind of baseline has to be in every feature we build. Any feature where, that, where there's the pot- potential for anything problematic, you know, we build in all, all three of those. So we, we spend a lot of time covering moderation at scale on other social platforms, we think about it a lot. One of the things we hear from, say, Facebook is we need to be this big in order to have effective moderation. We need to be Facebook size in order to build AI moderation capability, in order to have a scaled moderation team around the world, just in order to support a global business. It's this it has to be, it's this big. Facebook size. I don't think Tinder is at Facebook size. I don't think Match Group is at Facebook size. How do you think about the the challenge of scaling a moderation team to support the world and then adding video, which is, I have many sort of mechanical questions about how you might moderate video chats, but that's just another level of work. Are you growing your trust and safety team to meet that challenge? Is it, is it big enough? Does it need to get bigger? So I, I can't I can't speak for how Facebook thinks about it. I, I can tell you they're, they're just like we need to be huge. Yeah, that's, that's like <laughs> fundamentally their answer. We're we're big. We're not Facebook scale at either Tinder or Match Group, and I, I feel that we have sufficient scale uh, both in terms of you know signal from what's happening to learn on, and not just in English, but across more than many languages. Um, we've got sufficient financial resources to take the the human moderation side as seriously as it can be taken. I'll say for us, you know, we're very specific. It's, you know, we are, we are not a broad based social community. We're a, a, a social community with a very specific intent, right? Which is to find that something more we were talking about. I feel very good about our ability to do it, even though we don't have the Facebook scale. So let's say I'm, I'm 19 on Tinder, get all, get through all the opt-ins, Someone wants to video chat with me. I want to vid- video chat with them. I hit the button and then that person does something bad or untoward or I don't like it. Mechanically, what is the moderation step? Do I hit send? Is it recording in the background for someone else to review? How does that work? 
Yeah, probably what happens there. And again, some of this is still, you know, you're still getting me, you know, a month before launch, give or take. So there's still some of the very last details that we figure it out. And then there will be details we have to figure out, you know, with the first test groups that we get. You know, this is this this experience is going to be quite far uh, into an interaction between two people, right? So, and then we will, you know, through that path have had people opt in and, you know, we remind them of all the policies around Tinder, you know? And so there's a, there's a series of steps you have to get through. I think that based on what you're describing, my guess is we probably get in a report, you know, our members are very proactive about reporting. That probably becomes one of the signals. We'll probably catch something, um, with one of the machine learning models, especially as we get more scale in this specific uh, scenario. Maybe one of our other machine learning models is able to pick it up. Maybe we need a, sp- a specifically tuned one for this area. So, but so I mean, let's dig on that for one second. A machine learning model picking up something bad happening, it usually looks like one thing, right? So are you saying like, I'm in a video chat, someone whips out their dong and like an AI is like, that's a dong cutting off the video chat reporting you automatically? So, you know, there, there are existing, you know, terms of use for Tinder. And so, you know, I expect we'll enforce that. The, the scenario you're describing is probably the easiest one to catch, quite frankly. But I guess my, to make that question less uh, funny, you're saying an AI is going to watch the video chat in real time. Yeah. I mean, we, we've been pretty open, right, that on the balance between safety and privacy, we balance in favor of safety. Um, and that's a trade, right? So, for example, if this was end-to-end encrypted and nobody else can see it and we can't get in there, we can't see it. Um, and so, yeah, I think, you know, we've been very open broadly, but not, not specific to video. It's, it's broadly true about the platform. Because of what we do, safety is more important. How it plays out exactly and specifically in all of the nuances around video, we're, we're really accomplished and experienced here. We'll, we'll have to see all the, I don't want to try to give you answers in areas where I don't yet know the answers and don't yet know actually which are the real scenarios. But the one you described is easy to catch. Yeah, I think I'm just I'm I'm fascinated and taken with the idea of having a computer chaperone a video date, right? Which is it, yeah. it sounds like that's very much the way you're going. Yeah, so I, I'll, I'll generalize because I don't want to I don't want to. We have terms of use. The terms of use are not going to change. This is not going to change that. Um, you know, the area we, we operate in is, right, we have, we have members who make decisions and what's, you know, what two people decide for themselves. There's no one size fits all. Um, and that's, I think, one of the beautiful things about Tinder is it's actually incredibly diverse. It's incredibly diverse and a really amazing and important part of life. And we've been able to do that at global scale and support that. And so that is something that I, I want us to be able to continue to do. It's important and valuable. You know, what's right for our 18 and 19 year old college campus students and what's right in Delhi and what's right in Seoul and Tokyo for 25 and 30 year old. It's just there. There's no one size fits all answer for this part of life. Nothing to do with harassment, nothing to do with abuse, purely to do with like how people want to live. And that's, I think, a wonderful thing. And we we are we've been in, in so many different ways uh, supportive and encouraging, whether it's you know trying to do things that are better for our trans community. Uh, trying to support our LGBTQ community, right? These are these are important, and so that's that's one of the underlying values of Tinder is that we're supportive of all the ways in which people show up when they're looking for something more. But we, we you know, all that being said, there's a big team that's monitoring all the vectors for harassment, all the vectors for abuse. Um, but let me push on that just in one other way, because it is philosophically fascinating. And then I will let Ashley, who is actually a reporter on this beat and knows what she's talking about, take take it away. But 
when you're chatting with somebody or sending photos or doing whatever else you might do on Tinder, the chat platform, there is a mediated step where you hit send and then, you know, a server can say, Hey, we're going to catch this. Right. But there's like that act of transmission to a server. The server declines to send it on. And that's kind of built into that interaction model. A video chat in real time with another person is not mediated by a server, right? So that's like an interaction design problem. That's a user expectation problem. It also seems like a really computationally intensive problem because you're monitoring however many video streams at global scale all day long. Is that the set of challenges for video chat that you're facing? And and how are you solving particularly that computational one? Because that seems really hard. Yeah, so I'll give you a really concrete example um, of a place where we we are clearly moderating text, right? Start there. We have a feature called Does This Bother You? Where we actually have transmitted the text, but we think there may be a problem. But, you know, there's a lot of nuance. What is a problematic for one may not be problematic for another. And there's lots of examples where that comes to mind. And so we say to the recipient, does this bother you? Um, and actually, and, and many times the recipient says, no, it doesn't bother me. In this context, this is appropriate. This is what I'm fine with this. And it gives you a sense of like the complexity of what we're dealing with in our specific environment, right? Um, when you're looking for something more with someone. With video, I don't, you know, it's real time, right? Like it's not, um, it's not this, you know, text is slow relative to a real time video. So it, it's it's complex. It's why we're going to roll out in small steps and small phases, why it's being built by the trust and safety team. It's computationally intensive. You're right. We've got lots of technical chops to do it. So, um, you know, let's, I think what we should do is let's come back in, a, in not a month, too soon, but like in, in three months, let's come back and go deep on it. And we'll tell you, you know, all the things we've learned. And, and I think at that point, we still will know not everything. We'll know a fraction of what there is to know, but we'll know a lot. But, you know, I think I think like all of the efforts to moderate uh, large communities to help make the large communities as as good as they possibly can be. It's an ongoing effort uh, and it's probably an ongoing effort forever. Um, and, and so we're you know, we're we're coming at it with a lot of knowledge and a lot of experience, a lot of a lot of really critical foundational knowledge. But it's you know, it's the beginning. It'll, it's something we'll take. We, we're taking super seriously. You know, you have introduced video to Tinder in like baby steps. You've done the interactive swipe night loops, the in, the looping gifts that they have on profiles. Why not just stay out of video calls entirely? Why, why do you feel like you need to have? I mean, FaceTime works great. Why, why <laughs> do you want people to have video chats in in Tinder? The, the broader answer. Well, there's a. I'll give the broad answer. Right. The thing that video does. Right. Video is not about video. Video is about live, and video is about the ability to get connection. And it's it's more broadly about this second wave of the evolution of you know dating apps, of connecting apps, of you know of, of networks where you're there to meet new people. Uh, and so it, it's a it's an important it's a really important technical tool. Because it allowed, look, we're, you know, we're able to do this, you know, we're, all of us are doing this now in our work environments, and we're able to get a lot of what we get from a connection perspective and a signal perspective. So it's a really powerful thing. I think when we do it uh, on Tinder, we actually, the, the positive side is we bring to bear all of our experience with safety. Um, you know, the things that are completely off platform, we, we have a much, we have, you know, in most cases, zero ability to do anything about um, they they happen outside of our purview, so there are a lot of benefits. But, you know, the second thing is, which I think is related to this idea of safety, is people often want a certain amount of privacy as they're developing a relationship, as that relationship is forming, and they don't know where it's going to end up. They don't know if it's going to last, and so 
uh, giving out your FaceTime, you know, your ID, your phone number, your FaceTime ID, uh, giving out your snap handle, et cetera. Like giving out all these other things may not be what you want. You may want to be abstracted a little bit. Those are really more for people you know really well, your friends and family. And so I think we have a lot, we have a lot of role to play, but the core place it starts is around human connection and the emotion of that. And that, and video is powerful for that. And you imagine this is a permanent feature for Tinder. It's not just like a thing you're rolling out during the pandemic. I mean, you're putting a lot of work in. Like, <laughs> it, you're not going to be promoting it, you know, just for this period of time. This is a forever Tinder feature right now. I would believe so, yeah. I mean, you know, we, we're, we're very careful to try, as we look at all things COVID, to try to figure out what are the things that we believe are here forever? You know, maybe they are accelerating things that were already true. They're pulling the future forward. You know, as somebody said, I thought that was a really elegant way to say it versus it's just here today and gone far because it's, it's a big, big, big effort. And by the time we'd finish it, you know, the, the, the crisis will be in a different place. And, uh, and if it's fleeting now, we, you know, we believe that the idea of connecting emotionally on the, on, in the community, on Tinder directly is uh, is an important one, and we believe that video is a powerful tool for that. I think that the you know, the way I frame it is, it's not a matter of if people will hang out on Tinder and connect on Tinder in that way and spend time on Tinder. It's really the what and the when. The what is like, is it going to be trivia? Is it going to be some other, um, you know, div- you know, some other activity that you do that helps you connect? Is it things like swipe night? And then, you know, the when. I think it's going to be different if you're 18 versus if you're 35. For some people, it will be never, right? Um, but for a lot of people, it's just going to be where they are, where they personally are on the adoption curve. Oh, I really wanted to ask. Can you screenshot a video call? We will do everything in our power to block screenshotting video calls. How does that work on, on the different platforms? Is that something you have to go to Apple and Google and ask for? Is it something you can just build? Is it... That seems like a very complicated thing to say, to execute after you say it. Yeah, we have we have really really good partners in both of those platforms. Um, we work really closely with them. So whatever is technically possible, it's what I said it the way I said it, which is we will do everything possible. Uh, I want to stop short of being like it is impossible. Obviously, you can take another phone and photograph <laughs> the screen and like old school screenshots. If you ever see these contraptions for how they took screenshots in the eighties, they literally use a camera. So, um, yeah, we have, we, we're experienced in this area, um, with really, really helpful, you know, partners there. So let's, let's come back in, you know, let's come back in three months time and I'll give you more and more specifics as we have them. How do you think about, I mean, you, you were previously the CEO of OkCupid. That seems like it has a different user journey than Tinder. Yes. Uh, we mentioned Match Group earlier. If the listeners aren't familiar, Match Group is a company. It's about to spin out and be a public company. It owns all the dating services, I think. That's my understanding. If you run a dating app, you probably work at Match Group. We're a public company that is spinning out our major shareholder, which is IAC. IAC, you know, we're, we're uh, predominantly held by IAC and we're spinning out of that. But we've been a public company since the fall of 2015. Match Group owns OkCupid, Tinder, and, and others. So Match.com, of course, you know, which is um, really where so much of this started. So as you think about Tinder and its role in people's lives. And then you've got this other constellation of dating services. Do you see people moving from one to the other? Do you see people, I don't know, leaving their 
longstanding okay keep it relationship and coming into like the tinder swiping ecosystem how does that work out inside a conglomerate of so many different brands yeah it's a good question we so i'll, I'll frame it from the tinder perspective i think it's you know every every you know the ceo of okay cupid today he's a very very sharp guy and he would want to be able to answer the okay cupid specific questions you know but i'll frame it for how we think but we're really in in the world of these apps i think this is broadly true both within match group but but really across the eco, across the entire category. We're the only one that is, you know, focused entirely with all of our energy on 18 to 25, on Gen Z, on kind of how this, how it shows up when you're really young. And it doesn't therefore mean that there aren't members who are over 25 on Tinder. There are lots, um, but that's, that's the unique place we play. You know, Ashley, you were saying it with regards to Tinder U. There's, there's a reason why we do all the stuff we do for U.S. college kids, that's not the entirety of our audience. You know, we're much, much bigger than just the U.S. college student population, but it's a place where we derive a lot of inspiration for our innovation. And that's that's when we have in mind a member, we're thinking about them. When I was a CEO of OkCupid, that was not the member I was thinking about. You know, Ariel would have, Ariel's a CEO of OkCupid. He'd have to tell you how he thinks about it today. But there, I definitely, you know, having been in both roles at different times, uh, I very much conceptualized who my who I was building for, who we as a team thought about uh, quite differently. Do you share resources across these groups? I mean, I'm literally coming off. Uh, we we just spoke to the CEO of Google. He has to operate Google and Alphabet. He resource shares across the various Alphabet companies, but he wants to keep them very different. Is that how you think of Tinder inside of Match Group? It is remarkable, and I don't think we it gets enough attention that match group owns so many of the, the major dating services and manages to keep them somewhat independent. How does that roll up at the top when you decide to share resources? Yeah. So, you know, uh, Char Dubay is the CEO of match group and she and I work together closely now for four years. She's fantastic. Very, very brilliant, super experienced in all things dating, uh, online. She's been doing this for a long time. She was at match.com, you know, running match.com for many years you know, we've 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 started to take sharing of specific knowledge bases, you know, more seriously. Ashley, you know, you were talking about uh, trust and safety. It's an area where we absolutely don't want to reinvent the wheel, right? It's really important that we take the knowledge developed at Tinder or the knowledge developed at OkCupid or at Match.com and apply it for the benefit of all of our members, independent of which which one of the communities they happen to be in anywhere in the world. And there are other examples of that around that, which. Um, you know, start to get more technical, for example. You know, there are technical resources where Tinder teams are working with, you know, OkCupid teams or other teams, Hinge teams, et cetera, to, to bring to bear uh, very specific technical know-how. It tends to be in areas where the knowledge that you need is very specific to what we do versus it's very general computing knowledge. Um, and, you know, honestly, the, the person, the, the, the company that knows best is like AWS or Google Cloud, for example, when it's specific to the world of, of that we're in, then the sharing um, is pretty significant. And it's gotten more, I've, you know, I've been with Match for four years now, first at OkCupid, now at Tinder for Tinder for two and a half years, and OkCupid for one and a half before that. And I've seen us increase that a lot over that time. Uh, and that's in very intentional. Um, so I've been recording uh, a podcast episode for Why'd You Push That Button, the other show that I do. And we interviewed a bunch of daters who are virtually dating now and kind of how that experience has been going for them. And pretty much the feedback we've gotten is that 
there's only so far they can go with the digital conversation and they miss that in-person connection. So I guess I'm wondering, I mean, is there a world in which Tinder creates like a Tinder haptic suit? Like, how do you, <laughs> I just, do you think there is still this limitation? Like where, what's the line? Like where is the limitation with tech and what do you think needs to happen in the future to make virtual dating maybe a true reality? Yeah, I, I- I think that this varies for for everyone, but you know our our view, you know my view personally, but our view more broadly as a, as a team at Tinder, is that there is a limitation. Um, there's no, there is only so far you can go that you know we're physical beings, right? And that's important, and that's wonderful, and that's been true for you know millennia, and millennia, and millennia, and is not going to change because of COVID, and is not going to change. Uh, it's not going to change. Uh, I think that's that's going to be true. So the the physical connection we get will remain important. And I, I don't think we'll build a haptic suit. Um, but look, I think that the, the, the wonderful thing about all things kind of internet and all things tech is somebody somewhere will be inspired and will say, this is important. It's important to be able to hang out in Animal Crossing. Oh, that's really interesting. People want to do that. Okay, that's inspiring. You know, I think the physical world has a uh, has a really, really critical role to play. I can't wait till, you know, my wife and I can go out to restaurants and bars and hang out in the physical world and have that experience. And uh, I'm eager for that to come back. So there is going to, I think there's, there's a, there's a very important place to play for hanging out virtually, but I think there's a very important place to play uh, for the physical world. And no, we have a huge community. And so there will be parts of the community who say, look, I'm very satisfied. I feel validated. I feel seen. I feel heard. And I get my connection without that. Uh, I don't know what I will. We'll have a better sense in in a year's time of like what, how the how this shakes out, what percentages or what. But I, I'm I'm definitely betting on the physical world being very important and here to stay. <laughs> uh, so I end all of these conversations with CEOs by asking about how you manage your time and when you, when people do work. Uh, I'm imagining running a team the size of Tinder across the world remotely is challenging. How have you structured your time? When do you get work done and, and how are you adjusting to managing remotely? Yeah, you know, I'll, one that I think a lot of people are, are seeing that I definitely you know, started to see maybe six, seven, eight weeks ago, whenever this you know, started, I do not do Zoom video conferences all day long. I think it is draining in some you know, very unique way and I don't like it. Uh, I've moved actually a lot of uh, a lot of the things that don't need to be Zoom to phone calls or to asynchronous inside of Google, you know, inside of Google Docs. Uh, I think that the, to me, the big takeaway, which is maybe I don't think the direct answer to your question, but I think it's a really interesting topic is recently. Right. We we assumed that the default number of days you needed to be in the office was five. Right. Uh, and I think that was broadly true. There's a lot of social, cultural inertia around that idea. You work in the kind of work we do, right? It's digital work, and you commute across the Bay Area or across Los Angeles or across New York. Those are where our U.S. offices are. And uh, you, it takes you 60 minutes, and you go sit at a desk, and then you do Google Docs, and you do Slack, and you know, if occasionally you go to a, a conference room, and you do that five days a week. I think what this is teaching us for sure is that the default of five doesn't make sense. You don't need five. I do think there's a really important value of being in the office, um, that the office has, you know, the physical space has certain jobs that it does really well. And, uh, and so we're going to, I think that's, that's a big unlock. I think in terms of my personal time, you know, the things that I'm being very careful of is do I need to do this live or not? And how do I ensure that my day doesn't end up spent um, just sitting all day? You know, the, the office actually brings with it lots of little breaks, right? You know, I'm walking here, I'm walking there. 
And I think that's a that's a more balanced version versus just sitting at my desk here looking at, you know, the video screen, you know, uh, 12 hours a day. When you say there, there's stuff at the office as well, Tinder's a software company. I think as you kind of see the split of, of bigger companies, the companies that have a lot of like hardware divisions are like itching to go back. Pure software companies like Twitter, Square, work from home forever. Is that, are you thinking about the same split? Yeah. The big thing will be that there's an unlock from the inertia of we just do it this way because we've always done it, right? Especially for work that is a lot around information work. Obviously, if you're manufacturing something, most of this doesn't apply, right? Um, you're physically manufacturing it in a physical space. Uh, but for the kind of work that you know we do, um, for sure, right? It's software, it's digital. But I, I'm, I don't like the framing of it's all or nothing. It's like, we're going to work from home forever. There's going to be no physical offs. I think it's the wrong framing. Uh, I think it's really a question of how do you how many of those days a week do you want to have um, the the office time? I think teams really benefit from that. Um, you know, kind of maybe maybe picking up off the conversation from before, right? The physical world is important, and we get a lot from it. And I know that I get a lot from our team interactions that are in the physical world. I miss it. I know a lot of our other leaders do, but you don't need five days. Uh, I actually think that a lot of hardware companies, people who are working more in the hardware world, will also find that that's a balance that, that makes sense for them, too. You know, because a lot of their work is not physically with their hands on the hardware. It's very often inside of a computer, in CAD or whatever it is. When you think about um, just how you want your team to come back, and then you, you have a lot of access to a lot of signal about when people are using Tinder and going on dates again around the world. What are the indicators you're looking at around the world to say, OK, our team is going to start coming back now? You know, it's hard. You know, uh, we, we're, we're looking at two different things. We're looking at after this is all over, what does the future of work look like? That's, I think, a really interesting thought experiment. I think it's hard to know exactly what it will be, but we can come up with some really good theories around it. Uh, in terms of signal to come back, you know, it's hard. We've, we've looked at this a lot. You know, you've got density challenges. So even when you're like, oh, things are getting better and yeah, going to the park and going on a date in a park or going to the beach in LA, right? That seems pretty safe, seems pretty low risk. You know, in a, in a dense office environment, you've got a lot of challenges. And um, so the we, we don't have a good answer. You know, I think what you're seeing, right, is a lot of tech companies, us included, are continuously pushing out the date, right? The kind of comeback date. And my guess is that as people work through all of the, the details of like how many people can you really have in the office and what would that actually look like? And um, what if you have one person who's sick and how many people do they get sick, et cetera? You, the date keeps getting pushed out. So it, where that's led me personally is I'm thinking more and more about what happens after versus trying to guess like when do we come back? Because I think there is going to be we're seeing this now, right? Um, if you're in Seoul, South Korea, it's a very different story. Uh, that's the probably the best case in the world at this point. If you're in, uh, it, you know, if you're in Germany, um, clearly better, but office work in Germany is still difficult, right? Because it's a confined space. Anyway, I, I I don't know that we have a better. We, I don't know that we have a better conclusion. We have lots of signal of how people are behaving, but they're behaving that way in, in kind of outside areas or low density areas. And office is very high density. Okay, so last question. You're obviously you're making a lot of moves right now for Tinder in the, what I would call the stay at home moment, right? We're trying to make Tinder more social inside of its app, inside of its community. At some point, this does wrap up and people start to shift and hopefully see each other in person again. Hopefully when we have this video chat conversation in three months, hopefully we're actually physically together. That'd be great. 
when you look beyond this moment, what changes inside of Tinder do you see as being permanent in terms of how people interact with the app and like live in the app? Because it, the, the shift from I'm going to swipe to I got your phone number to we're going on a date and that's one contained interaction to this is a community or this is a social environment that you're going to come back to again and again and again is a huge shift that it seems convenient to do it around everybody staying at home, but it obviously seems like it's bigger inside of the life cycle of Tinder as a company. What's the main thing you want to hold on to as you pull through this moment? You, you, I think the phrase you said, pulling the future forward. What's the thing that you see inside of Tinder is pulling the future forward? Yeah, I, I think it's, you know, it, it really relates to how the experience of our 18, 19, 20 year old members looks, which is for them, if we can create an experience that allows them to kind of get to know somebody to hang out digitally before they go into the physical world and therefore th- what they do get in the physical world is more likely to be good, um, more likely to be, you know, kind of vibing, right, to have connect, to have a real connection. Uh, that's the part that stays and, 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 you know, we were doing this, we were thinking that way going back to late 2018. You see it in Swipe Night in the fall of last year. How do we make the community more alive as a place to come to, as a place to hang out? So, uh, and that was informed by the trends we were already seeing. I think what it does is it broadens, it speeds it up, um, COVID speeds it up, and it broadens the number of people who say, yeah, that's relevant for me. Now, I think, by the way, the path you described of like, I swipe, I match, I, you know, we, we text a few times and we say, hey, let's find a date uh, to go on in a week or two. That's not going away. It's, these are not mutually exclusive. They're, um, they both will be contained. But that's the part that will keep with us. The other part that I'm describing is the part we'll keep. Yeah, it's, it, it seems like that you're at an inflection point where you can accelerate the broader vision. Yeah, that's right. That's exactly right. Yeah. You know, it's 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 an outside it's an outside thing that gives a lot of people willing to try it. Right. That's a big deal that people are willing to try something new, you know, whether that's Instacart. Right. Or that is um, a Zoom meeting or it's hanging out on Tinder. Yeah, this is a it's a it's a moment in time where, like, you get a lot more people who open their minds out of necessity, who are willing to expand what they think is, you know, for lack of a better word, like normal. And that's a, that's a big change. That's a big deal. All right, Ellie, I think we're out of time. It was really great to talk to you. Ashley, thank you. Thanks. Thank you both. We're going to come chasing after you after this video chat launches. We're going to have a million questions after it launches because it sounds fascinating. <laughs> Absolutely. Happy, I'd be happy to do it. Yeah, it's going to be fascinating. I agree. All right, my thanks to Ellie Seidman for joining us. We're going to have to have him back uh, after a video chat rolls out and really get into some of those moderation details. My thanks also to Ashley Carmen. That was a great interview. Uh, I was glad to have her with me. We'll be back on Friday with the chat show, and we've got more and more of these CEO interviews coming up, as well as a few politicians. we got quite a lineup. It's still coming. It's the Vergecast. Let me know what you think. Let me know who you want me to talk to. I'm at Reckless on Twitter. I love your feedback. We'll talk to you soon. more to-dos, less time, and an infinite number of tools to keep track of. Sometimes doing business has never felt harder, but you don't need a miracle to hit your goals. You can just use HubSpot because their all-in-one customer platform can make growing your business infinitely easier. Imagine this, high-quality leads, fast-closing deals, wildly happy customers, and more benchmark-breaking quarters. It's not a miracle, it's HubSpot. Visit HubSpot.com to get started today. 